Conversations with Ros and Stacey. Following our previous series on grief and bereavement, today we're going to be stepping outside the traditional understanding of grief. We have with us here today Julia, who is my cousin and Rosalind's niece, and we're going to be discussing the subject of ambiguous loss. Julia wrote a university paper titled Here But Not Here. So, Julia, can you tell us what is ambiguous loss? Ambiguous loss is a term that was first sort of coined in the 1970s by a researcher called Pauline Boss, who was a social psychologist, I believe, who was studying the families of soldiers who went missing in action. So no sense of closure. So at its most basic sense, ambiguous loss is loss without any closure or finality. For some, this is physical loss. So type one is psychologically present but physically absent so if a plane goes missing and the bodies are never recovered and you never have that finality of being like yes my son has died my daughter has died Mm -hmm. someone has died so they're psychologically still present but you don't get the closure of physical evidence of that and then type two is psychological loss so someone is physically present but psychologically you're starting to lose them so I think the most concrete example of this is if someone has Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So physically still here, but psychologically you're losing them. Um, Alzheimer's or mental health. Or mental health issues. Severe mental health issues. Yeah, yeah. So the best way I saw described was type 1 is gone but not for sure and type 2 is here but not here. Yeah. So you focused your paper on here but not here and I believe that was a, a something personal in your own life that made you focus on this in your paper. Mm-hmm. So what's a little bit of the background on why you chose here but not here? My father has severe clinical depression now at the point where it feels like there's no coming back from it. It sounds a bit pessimistic but it's just been gradual my whole life so I, I think at some point the optimism starts to become a bit more rational. So just for the sake of our readers, I think the first, well, the whole paper is just beautifully written, but can you just read for us the first couple of paragraphs so the listeners understand the journey that you've been on with your father as you started to lose him? When I was young, I remember staying every second weekend with my father at his flat on the north side of Brisbane. The fridge was always full of Coke and Tim Tams, and my poorly made Father's Day card in the shape of a cockatoo was stuck beside his bed. (laughs) He told me stories about his job as an electrician and answered all my questions about how power sockets work. He would play Pink Floyd on the stereo while I listened to the Spice Girls on the Walkman he gave me. When I was a little bit older, I remember visiting him in his flat in Spring Hill. It was above a pub, and I was amused by the fact that the fridge was so small and that there was a sink near his bed. He told me his stories about his surfing days and he passionately talked about the unique majesty of being out in the ocean. He would listen to Led Zeppelin on the stereo while I listened to Britney Spears on the discman he gave me. (laughs) When I was a young teenager, I remember visiting him in Gympie. He told me stories about how he hitchhiked around Europe in 1979 and learned how to say two beers please in almost every European language. He told me how he saw the Berlin Wall before it came down. He would listen to Neil Young on the stereo while I listened to Jack Johnson on the cylindrical MP3 player he gave me. Then I started to lose him. I think when you think of, you know, someone says, oh, my dad has depression, it's such a present 
picture you get in your head. Because well, it's all around us, I think. Absolutely. Like, in mental health, I think there's less stigma talking about it, so people are more open talking about their own struggles. Mm-hmm. So in the case of this, for example, like sometimes I feel like if people are ever curious about my father, it's just saying depression doesn't seem like enough. The spectrum and the scale mm. of depression, what we see in day-to-day are functioning people mm. that just you know you wouldn't you wouldn't know and then I think for you being able to paint a picture mm. of how it started and I hope this doesn't offend anyone so normally you mm. know your relationship with him was like any other and then gradually you could in your words hear it declining mm. and the slipping away yeah and I think it was within my own perspective too as a child you're not as privy to probably the nuanced ideas of people's mental health when you're a kid like he was my dad he was taking me to the circus he was taking me to Hungry Jack's he was like Mm -hmm. spoiling me a lot he was getting worse definitely getting worse he started off not as bad as he is now but I was always I was also starting out with a different viewpoint as well when Stacey was talking about her grief and she was talking about the different stages so even with this ambiguous grief there's still stages in that, isn't Mm. there? You know, you talk in your paper about denial and anger and guilt and bargaining. At what stage of your father slipping away did you start moving into these stages of grief? Or was it happening in the background unconsciously? I I think it was happening unconsciously because I think when I was probably 15 or 16 and it started to really affect me and I slipped into my own sort of I guess depressive mm-hmm. headspaces and periods of time and everything like that so I think it definitely was was happening but I wouldn't have recognized it as as any sort of grief it was just sort of teenage angst and I just yep. wasn't happy with my lot in life so um in that in that regard yeah you didn't relate it to how you were feeling about Not your all. father just tell our listeners a little bit about the different stages you went through because I think people need to understand if they're going through that, that's okay, mm-hmm. particularly the anger and the guilt. So in terms of relating it to the traditional stages of grief that you um, often hear talked about, I kind of went into denial. So obviously if someone were to, when someone passes away, you just sort of deny that this is possible. I sort of went through long periods and maybe still do time to time where I sort of deny that this is the reality, this is the only way it can be. He was perceiving himself as reducible to his illness and, you know, I didn't want to accept that 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 was my dad. Mm -hmm. You know, I still had these idealised versions of what things could be like, even though they were never like what I thought. That was my reality and that's how I saw our relationship. But it was never... The, the fairy tale daddy daughter thing you see mm-hmm. in the movie. I I was so I was denying it. I was like, it's gonna, it can still be like that. It can still be like that. And like what you were saying before, it's kind of accepting the finality that it's probably not gonna go back yeah. to what it was. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't accept it. So I couldn't rearrange my expectations and perceptions. And I, I have now, but it took me a long time. I, I read, um, I read somebody else's story this woman who had lost her father to mental illness. And when she had a daughter, the granddaughter met her granddad where he was in that mental state. Mm -hmm. And so the daughter realised if she met her father where he was now instead of 
where he had been that she could deal with it a lot Definitely. a lot better. She had to change her whole perception around it. Yeah. I feel like, though, that's so easy to say. That granddaughter can't recall on anything else, whereas the daughter can. And you are always going to have in the back mm. of your mind, okay, yeah, I can be with him in this present state, but I know what it used to be. Mm. But th- that's the whole fairy tale thing. You have to let go. You mm. have to let go of that in, in order to meet them. And that's and now. that's what this this woman, Pauline Boss, the one who kind of coined that term of ambiguous laws. That's one of her big things that she used to work a lot with the families, and she said the biggest thing she had to try and get them to do was rearrange their perceptions or mm-hmm. expectations and that was by far the hardest obstacle to yeah. overcome because and that's what you've been doing Are that's you what succeeding i in that? i think i'm succeeding in it now it still doesn't make it easy but no. i've definitely rearranged my perceptions <laughs> and, and that's like any grief like stacy losing her dad the intensity isn't there anymore mm. but she'll still always have to feel mm-hmm. the loss I know you don't talk to me a lot about Mm. your dad or what you feel about your dad, and this paper just completely opens up. I feel like you were in quite a vulnerable Mm. state. You were opening yourself up, allowing yourself to talk about it so Mm. openly. Was there a moment that made you want to open up about this, something that had happened or triggered it to make you say, I'm ready to open this? When your father, Stacey, passed away, Hearing you talk about the stages of grief as well, seeing all the different emotions and hearing you talk in almost disbelief and just didn't know how to articulate how you were feeling and not being able to rearrange perceptions, like your Mm -hmm. whole worldview has just been shaken up. When that happened, you know, I wouldn't have said it at the time, but I kind of saw some things and you said some things that I was like, that sort of fits in with emotions I have felt Mm -hmm. in a different way because you know I I have the physical presence still so it's it's different but it's the same yeah like that was really interesting for me because you hadn't realized you were actually grieving I'm not allowed to like I always felt like there's a dichotomy you Mm -hmm. grieve for the dying Mm -hmm. and you just deal with what's happening Mm -hmm. with the living like grief is the language reserved for death so that's why then when it came time to write this paper and that idea came to me, I was like, maybe this is a way I can explore, you know, am I feeling grief? Is it grief? And nothing stated. this, that just shows that there's no one talking about it. Mm. Like mm. you said, grief is mm. typically reserved for the dying. Mm. Yeah. There would be so many people in your position that would have no idea that what they're feeling is a form mm. of grief. It's mm. phenomenal. And Julia, just getting back to the stages of grief, yes. I, I love what you were saying about the denial. Yeah. Because so, a, a lot of people are embarrassed about those emotions. Do you want to explain something about the anger that you were feeling and the guilt about Yeah. That? Well, I mean, with anger, I found, I can't remember what paper it was, but there was something I found that just sort of talked about the traditional stages of grief and And the quote about anger, the anger stage, um, really resonated with me. The quote is, They may even feel anger at someone they love for unintentionally keeping them in limbo, only to be consumed by guilt for having such thoughts. Mm -hmm. What I've written here is, you know, I did feel angry at him, and I was angry about not, not having the father figure I wanted, and I was angry that I couldn't have what I saw a lot of other people having. There was no resentment to anybody else. 
but there was resentment towards him because yeah I was just so angry I was like how how can I not have this I'm entitled to this and then as I got older and understood his mental illness a bit more there was still anger because I was angry about you know how can't you see beyond that and see how it's affecting me and that was like the classic 16 year old angsty stage where I'm like think about me But then this this bit, yeah, I think it's the, it's the being in limbo. I think it's just the unsureness because I can't say with 100% certainty that he's never going to come out of this. Mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain he's not, but you can never say never. So I think still that limbo stage, even though I know rationally we're not going to come out of it, I'm just you know I was angry that I was in that limbo and then I felt guilty. Mm-hmm. I felt guilty that I was angry. And then angry that I felt guilty. And, you know, something that still happens now is that, like, I'm a very empathetic person. So sometimes when I think about what it must be like to be him in his own headspace, I get really sad because Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, imagine, like, living life feeling so heavy and hopeless. And he's expressed it in as many words. He's like, I just don't think I'll ever come out of this. And that's really, really sad. Yeah. That's probably the emotion I deal with most now. Sadness for him, yeah. Yeah. And if you don't learn how to deal with this ambiguous loss, you're always going to be cycling through these Mm. um, stages of grief as Mm -hmm. well. And so what have you done to help you deal with this grief? It's been a lot of writing and self-reflection. A good thing about the internet is that you're able to find other people who have articulated feelings and experiences and stuff that you thought that you were alone in not that you thought no one else was going through but you just can't you can't go up to somebody and be like what's your experience with ambiguous ambiguous loss (laughs) and that kind of stuff so just lots lots of researching and lots of writing like I don't keep a diary but if I'm ever feeling a bit down or pressed I do like to write things out not in any organized way no holds barred like I just think write everything I'm thinking even if you know some of those things I feel a bit guilty about feeling getting it down on paper does really help and then when it came to this paper for university having to actually research and find someone who had talked about these feelings and frame it and organize it Mm -hmm. was incredibly cathartic just so you could understand where your father was coming from with his mm-hmm. mental illness and mm-hmm. understand where you were coming from with, with emotions that you felt guilty about because sometimes those emotions were deemed unattractive. Yeah. Definitely. You hear the term daddy issues and you kind of think, oh, daddy, you know, it's, there's such a stigma around it. It's become such a joke. But I have an issue <laughs> It's real with my father and so be it. <laughs> yeah. So just researching writing and coming to that place where you're mm. not hanging on to the fairy tale of what a father-daughter yeah. relationship should be, accepting him where he is yeah. now and meeting him in that place where he is Exactly, now. just rearranging my perceptions of our relationship. And, mm-hmm. you know, we know more about mental health more than ever, I think. The stigma's been so decreased. He's the same person with the same stories and the same experiences and... Mm-hmm. Although they're sort of vague, I have nice memories of him from when I was younger and they're not any less valid now. They're just a part of the past. Kind a, of, a moment in time. A moment in time. That you yeah. can hold on to and, yeah. and remember. Yeah. I know it's not something he's done intentionally to me. It's just the mind. It's mental health. Probably a solid 10 years before I probably got to a place. I mean, it, it, it roller coasted in that time. There were times where I was like, I don't care. 
it's fine, I'm fine, but I wasn't actually. And I think to an extent I'll probably, because they'll never, they'll never be that closure to the loss, so I think I'll probably, the rest of his life and my life, I'll be dealing with it and just yeah. in the same way that, you know, yeah. you'll be dealing with your own grief as yeah. well in different ways. So I'll, I'll, I'll stay in the limbo for now. I'm, I'm in the limbo stage, but I'm to, resilient yeah. to that. And that's, and that's another thing I found in a lot of the research, that it isn't so much about closing yourself off and being like, okay, I'm not going to feel this anymore. And mm-hmm. that's that. I've grieved. I just have to let it be. It's just being resilient to okay. the limbo and tolerant of the limbo. But right now I'm still in that ambiguous stage of the loss and my, my tolerance and acceptance of it has increased exponentially that I'm in a much better place, but I'm still in that place of limbo. Thank you very much, Julia. That was uh, a beautiful talk. So anyone who wants to read Julia's beautiful article, you can go on to idleconversations.com. Thank you, Julia. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you, Stacey. Thank you.